0: If you would take your Bible this afternoon and turn to Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7. The real reason I wanted to get started here quickly was so we get started before I got sleepy. Um, anyway, enjoyed the meal and the fellowship. Um, I said I was going to, this afternoon, look at what we are to continue doing, uh, despite our nation in decline, and, um, which it is and um and i think you know i think we've lost our moorings we've lost uh sight of where we've come from you know one of the things that i'm trying to remember who said it was karl marx or one of those men said if you the way to, the way you conquer a nation is a people is to make them forget from where they've come from so if you forget your history you're you're apt to repeat it i was talking to andrew's dad one time about things in africa and he said they just you know, they're you know continually changing administrations and governments, and they continue to repeat the same mistakes over and over again because they don't have a written history to learn from. You know, we have a we have had a written history, although now it's been rewritten, and the history that most people getting getting today is not true. Um, I don't see our nation returning to its moorings, and the reason is because of our schools. And I'm not just talking about public schools. I'm talking about Christian institutions. Uh, you look at Bob Jones University, you look at Pensacola Christian College, and the, and the curriculums are putting out, even even uh, if you read uh, David Be- or James Beller's book, Sacred Betrayal, and he talks about, he goes through the school curriculums for Christian schools, and there is almost none or very little Baptist history taught. And the origin, the foundations of our Constitution are Baptist. They're not Protestant. You know, they talk a lot. Of, even the even, um, one in Haines City, what's the uh, um, the, the uh, school curriculum that comes out of Haines City, Florida? Landmark. Even Landmark, Baptists. They call it Landmark Baptists. But even in that, there's very little about Baptists and the foundation of our nation. Uh, I remember you know, looking at the kids when we were going through Rebecca and you know, there's I don't know how many pages about Martin Luther and the Protestants and then they had one page and a few things about Roger Williams but there's no mention of John Clark there's no mention of Isaac Bacchus there's no mention of shubal Stearns there's no mention of John Leland there's no mention of John Gano, who by the way baptized George Washington during the Revolutionary War and George Washington is written of never returned to the Episcopal Church he never went back. Um, you know, these things are glossed over. Um, I was told, and I got this information secondhand as somebody that talked to James Beller. Uh, and uh, there is a video put out where James Beller has interviewed a Harvard historian. And a Harvard historian said that, told James Beller that they, there's been two rewrites of history. The first rewrite, they took the Christians out. Completely took Christians out. Well, there was a backlash about that because it was so, so wrong. So they rewrote it again. They put the Christians in, but left the Baptists out. Well, if you leave the Baptists out of our American history, you've lost your moorings because Protestantism teaches a state religion. That's, That's their foundation. And, you know, a lot of people, and if you think about this, um, many people criticize us, for example, Muslims will criticize us and say we persecuted people during the Crusades. Well, And they say, see, Christians murdered Christians. No, that wasn't Christians, that was Catholics. But see, if you come at it from a Protestant viewpoint or a Catholic Christian viewpoint, quote-unquote, you cannot negate that. It's only the Baptists that haven't slaughtered their enemies. Only when they had to take up arms to defend themselves did they kill people. They were not people of war. And so, so this is why I say, you know, uh, I don't see a return of righteousness on our nation because we've lost that more. But anyway, Luke chapter 7, that doesn't mean we we've lost our purpose because we have not. Our purpose does not change whether we, our nation goes downhill or not. Luke 7 says, when he had ended all these sayings in the audience of the people, he entered into Capernaum. A certain centurion's servant, who was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. When he heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy of whom he should do this. For he loveth our nation, and he hath built us a synagogue. He loveth our nation. And the question I want to ask you this morning, do you love your nation? Then do as this centurion. You know, the synagogue was the meeting house. It was the assembling place, if you will, of the Jews, where the scriptures were read, where prayers were made before God. And, you know, it's uh, it's really the same idea as a church house, a meeting house for God's people. And so... Um, they said he loved our nation and hath built for us a synagogue. So let's pray and look at this. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your Word. We thank you for your love and your mercies and your grace to us, even as a nation as yet. And we pray you'd help us as your people to be salt and light, and to not lose our purpose and our focus. Uh, that and the reason we are still here. So Lord, just help us and encourage our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, of course, many in our churches, and we are concerned and rightfully so, about the drift and decline, and we want to see something done to change course. But uh, you know, if, as we consider the foundation for all these monumental documents, you know, the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, you know, I believe we can understand then understand how we can change our course. And if we don't understand the source from which these come, we are doomed. And the source, as I mentioned earlier this morning, was from the is the scriptures. And the people that promoted liberty were Bible-believing Christians, Baptist people in that time. And so if we lose that, we're gonna lose uh, the foundation of true liberty. However, despite that, even though we may be doomed to destruction, and again, I and I and again I'm not trying to be all pessimist this morning, I think I'm just trying to be real, that I believe our country is doomed to destruction, I think we're under the judgment of God, I think, I don't believe the scriptures, uh, I, I think of what we see going on in the world, we're living in the end times, and I think our nation, if I understand prophecy, our nation is going to become a second, a, a non-threat to the world, and a second-rate nation, as we already are becoming. But despite all that, what is our responsibility to the world, to our nation? Well, we see here, as uh, is this said is of the centurion, that he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. You know, the greatest thing you can do for your nation, to the people around you, is to be involved in preaching the gospel. That is how our nation and its liberties came into being. It was through the preaching of the gospel, the declaration of the gospel. That was the background. That was the driving force of a new form of government where there is religious and, and, and physical liberties. You know, the, the two go hand in hand. If, if they're going to take away our religious liberties, you know, the, what's going to go with it is our physical and we're But we're losing both of those right now in, in our world. You know, th- this was really, this was a new form of government, a government without aristocracy. Kings, princes, you know, it's a government, it's a government that's brought, that was brought into being where normal citizens, farmers, truck drivers, restaurant owners, you know, we've got restaurant owners right now in Congress, Lauren Bobo from Colorado, we have a truck driver who won an election in New Jersey, a truck driver, um, you know, you know these people; these are normal citizens of, of our nation, can serve in a political office by a vote of the people. What other nation, until ours, had that form of government? You know, it was a liberating truth of the gospel that was being preached by the persecuted Baptists, and the conversion of the masses of people, resulting in a proliferation of Baptist churches, even in time of persecution. That was a driving force behind this new thing. You know, um, again, John Clark called it a lively experiment. You know, to, to have freedom in liber- and religious concerns. You know, this was the this was, the, if you will, the death nail in the coffin of elitism or aristocracy. Liberty. That all men are created equal—that was a new thing. Now it wasn't new; it was in the Bible all along. But it became something new for governments to embrace. Uh, no one was above the law. No one's supposed to be above the law. You know, that's again, that's changing in our society. If you're a certain party, you can get away with certain things, and you know, it's, it's obvious. Now in our in our nation there's there's two sets of laws for, for two different groups of people. You know, but even our founding fathers testified to this truth that it was the Baptists that brought about this liberty. Uh I read some of these this morning, but let me just read you a few quotes here. You know, I read uh uh Benjamin Franklin who said Uh, that the person who will introduce into the public affairs the principles of Christianity will change the face of the world Uh, Thomas Jefferson said this the reason that that Christianity is the best friend of government is because Christianity is the only religion that changes the heart unquote Uh, no Webster quote, the religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and this, to this we owe our free constitutions of government, Unquote. James Madison, quote, we stake the whole future of American civilization not on the power of the government, far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the power a capacity of each of all of us to govern ourselves according to the commandments of God. The future and success of America is not in the Constitution, but in the laws of God upon which this Constitution is founded. Unquote. So again, the foundation was not our Constitution. He says our foundation is the the law of God upon which our Constitution is based. Uh, John Jay, verse. Chief Justice Supreme Court said this: quote, "Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. Again, yeah, it's a new thing. It is a duty as well as the privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers." Unquote. Benjamin Rush: uh, "Quote: Let the children be carefully instructed in the principles and obligations of the Christian religion. This is the most essential part of education. That's, that's you said that today in a university somewhere and you'd be laughed out of the university. You said the most essential part, thing, thing about uh, education is to teach Christianity. You'd be kicked out. The great enemy of the salvation of man, in my opinion, never invented a more effectual means of extirpating, extirpating, that means removing, Christianity from the world than by persuading mankind that it was an improper to read the Bible at schools. Unquote. John Quincy Adams, quote, It is no slight testimony both to the merit and worth of Christianity that in all ages since its promulgation, the great mass of those who have risen to eminence by their profound wisdom and integrity have recognized and reverenced Jesus of Nazareth as the son of the living God, unquote. And we could go on and on talking about others. But I'll give you just a couple more. In his book, Sacred Betrayal, uh, James Beller has a quote here from the ambassador of Turkey in 1919, and he said this, for If I were asked to whom to hold the, before the American people in the world to typify the American spirit of fairness, of freedom, of liberty, and church and state, I would, without hesitation, select the great and immortal Roger Williams. He became a Baptist, a community, and a church which is famous for never having stained its hands with the blood of the persecutors. And, of course, Martin Lloyd George, who was the uh, prime minister of England in 1918, said, quote, it is Baptist principles we are fighting for in this great struggle. All that Baptists count dear is at stake in this issue. So, you know, it was a proliferation of churches, Baptist churches, that was the background for the liberties upon which our nation was founded and built and it is the basis for which we can maintain those liberties. Uh, look at John chapter eight, John chapter eight, in verse 32. John chapter eight, verse 32, says, "And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free." They answered him, "We' be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou ye shall be made free now it's, that's kind of an amazing statement because they're under the control and servitude to Rome, and yet they say, well, we've never been in bondage to any man that's 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 delusional, and you know you would you would there would be if you would tell somebody today that they're in bondage to sin and the wages of sin." They'd they'd argue with you. They would say, you know, no, we're we're free, you know. Um, they answered uh, verse thirty four. Jesus answered them, verily verily I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth ever. If the son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free and indeed. See, truth brings freedom. When when truth is received, we find the mercy of God, and it brings freedom. Of conscience, freedom from guilt of sin, which brings liberty of heart and mind, which promotes individual thinking. You know, when there's liberty, freedom, it promotes individual thinking. And that is a threat to globalism. You wonder why we're being censored? You know, there have been times I. I looked. Uh, I wanted. I googled the other day. I googled a church, and I knew that this pastor, and that's now the pastor of this church, was a was um, in the Marines. He was also a state trooper. He had been he had been um, presidential guard during Ronald Reagan. And um, anyway, he he has a a kind of a rap sheet concerning things like this, you know. So so I googled the church. Um, that I heard he was at, and it wouldn't come up on Google. So I went to DuckDuckGo. Guess what? It came right up. And why is that? Now, I've had that happen more than once, about things that are controversial. And you Google them, and Google says, you know, it's, it's, there's something, you know, you can't, it, it won't come up, or there's something wrong with it, or, and I can't remember what it actually says. So you go to DuckDuckGo, and it, the information comes right up. Um, you see, if if, the, if they can censor knowledge, they can control your thinking. But the old saying is, "It's it's impossible to enslave a Bible reading people." And and as the Baptists, the truth of the gospel was proliferated during those uh, colonial days and prior, right up prior and during the Revolutionary War. People's thinking was liberated. Their minds were enlightened and they, and they grasped true liberty. They began to understand it. That this is a right that comes from God. We've been lied to in these state churches. And it changed your thinking. And so, you know, if you're enslaved to that extent, you, whatever ex- extent you're enslaved, whatever, you are under the control of another, both mind and body. And so the greatest thing that you and I can do for our nation is to be involved in preaching the gospel. That liberates not only the souls of men, but their minds and their hearts. It brings brings back to one individual responsibility, individual thinking. You see, the idea that I can force you, or I have control over you, takes away individual responsibility also. That's what welfare does to people. It takes away individual responsibility. And the government you know, becomes responsible. They think they're responsible, and people, people, uh, some people like that, that they don't have to be responsible anymore. It doesn't matter what they do. They're going to get that check. They're going to get their food anyway. Of course, this involves church planting. That's part of the Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You know, God hasn't changed. You know, our nation again, our nation is in decline. But our purpose hasn't changed. Our responsibility hasn't changed. We're still to take the gospel into all the world. The, The United States may be a sinking ship, but there are people on the ship that we need to rescue. There are still places in our country that need churches. That need to reach with the gospel. And so we are to continue to go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice the second thing here. The gospel results in self-government of its adherence. Adherence. Uh, You know, it says in verse 4, when they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly, saying that he was worthy for whom he should do this now according to historians that um you know there was a centurion uh, in Capernaum and they found uh, according to the um, archaeological digs they found this synagogue and it had I think it even had a name of who the centurion was um Yes, and it is, you know, there are some historians that believe he even was converted to Christianity. But, but, but here was a man, he was a man who, who was, the Jews said of him, he was worthy. In other words, you know, he was a, a God-fearing man, one that had conduct, the kind of contact, conduct in his life that people respected him or thought him a good person. And, you know, the gospel results in self-government. Of its adherents. Uh, you know, the law of God becomes, is to become, you know, if He's our Lord, His law becomes our standard for conduct, for life, which, by the way, supersedes laws of government. And of course, it's upon that law that all good law, all good government is based. But look at Matthew chapter 5. Now, let's look at some, some illustrations of this, examples of the fact that that the gospel results in self-government, in other words, bringing oneself under the law of God, so we govern ourselves. And this is one of the things that James Madison made reference to, that, that uh, of course, uh, also uh, Thomas Jefferson said, Christianity changes the heart of people. But Matthew 5, verse 17 says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, to heaven and earth pass, One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass in law, to all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments Shall teach men so, He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them the same, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness Of the scribes and Pharisees, Ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. Whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now, that was what the Pharisees held to. The rest of it, they didn't care. But notice what he says. But I say unto you, Whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, Leave there thy gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art on the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto, you, unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Ye have heard that it has been said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, cast it from thee. It is better for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not all thy the whole body perish, uh, cast into hell. And, and, and then drop down to, drop down to verse uh, 38, uh, for sake of time. Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, or tooth for tooth. So you do to them what they do to you. That's what the law said. But I say unto you, that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. No, and the idea here is of being insulted or offended. This is an insulting slap. We're to take the offense. We're not to return that offense or that insult. Uh, Verse forty, and if thy any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. Whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee turn not away. Ye have heard that hath been said, Thou shalt love thine enemy, thou thy neighbour and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be of the children of your father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So, so the, you know, the law of God supersedes the law of man. You know, and, and we find things like this spoken of throughout the scriptures. For example, in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing to the church at the, uh, Ephesus says, This I say therefore, verse 17, Testify in the Lord Ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of your mind, having understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who, being past feeling, have given themselves over unto lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Ye have not so learned Christ. If so be ye have heard Him, have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So that's a right conduct. Wherefore, put away lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. We are members one another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more. Rather than him labor, working with his hands, the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That which is good, the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers. And really, it goes all the way down to chapter 5 and verse 8. And verse 8 ends with this. For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord, walk, or live as children of the light. So there's a conduct that God expects of His people. And it is, as Thomas Jefferson said, Christianity is the only religion that changes the hearts. And... And when the Baptists went all over the colonies preaching the gospel and 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 people being converted to Christ, it changed their hearts. It changed their way of thinking. It it liberated their souls and their minds, and they sought liberty, freedom to worship God according to dictates of his conscience uh, of their consciences. Uh, again, James Madison says that. You know, we have staked the future of our political institutions upon the capacity of of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. Unquote. I believe it was uh, John Adams that said that our form of government will only work for a religious people. And you know, we're becoming an irreligious people. And our government's growing because the need to be governed in our our country is growing. People do not govern themselves. Therefore, government is growing. I remember watching the American history class with, um, yeah, what's his name? Mr. McBride. And he said, this is one statement, that's the first time I heard it, and that was a light bulb moment for me. He said, the reason government is so big is because we don't govern ourselves. We've ceased to govern ourselves according to the word of God. Therefore, government is growing to meet our needs for which we no longer want to take responsibility for. Now this was, I was in Maine when I read this. But I think it was put out by the Heritage Foundation that seventy percent of Americans get some form of handouts from the government. Seventy percent. Some form of handout from the government. You know, you know as well as I do, a lot of us got handouts last year we didn't even want. I growled every time I got one. But I didn't have a choice. It was deposited right in my bank account. You know, so the gospel results in self-government. And if we're going to see our nation preserved, we have to have a return to self-government. I'm not talking about America governing itself. I'm talking about individuals governing themselves. And the only way they're going to govern themselves is to repent and get right with God. And thirdly, something we can do for our nation, you know the priority is preaching the gospel, planting churches. That's the foundation. But there is a third thing get involved in government. Luke two seven or Luke seven verse two says, and a certain centurion servant was dear unto him, was sick and ready to die. Verse 5 says, For he loveth our nation, and he hath built, for, built us a synagogue. Now, here was a government official. So he was involved in government, but he was also involved in building religious meeting houses. Now, this is a synagogue, but the implication is the same. You know, he was involved. And he was involved in government. Now, we see in the Bible that there were, there were many times that God's people were involved in government. Um, of course, in the Old Testament, you know, things were a little different there. But, and, and I'll get to that in a minute. But, you know, Daniel was involved in government for all of his life and, and his three friends. But, you know, we have for too long let others do the governing for us. And they do as they please. And, you know, we've created this little bubble where we live and keep ourselves completely isolated from it or try to. But that's no longer possible. You know, when the, the public school went bad, we, we just pulled out of it, which I don't think we should have ever been part of it to start with. But, but be that as it may, you know, then we isolated ourselves with the Christian school movement, created our own little bubble... In our own little social circles, and we didn't really have that much contact with the outside world, which really was not a good thing. Um, you know, John Leland and Reuben Ford—you know—they they, they began to get involved in the circulating petitions, as I mentioned this morning. Um, you know, John, uh, you know, government involvement was not something Baptists have been known for. Now, there's a reason for that. Think about it. For most of history, Baptists were people persecuted and on the run. There was not really opportunity to get involvement in in government because they were the persecuted. They were the minority. They were the weaker, if you will, and they didn't have the power. That began to change. That changed with the founding of our nation. In our nation. In the world, it's still like that, most places. In fact, I'm not sure there's any place where it's not, other than here. Although that's changing here, too. We've we become a minority here now. But, but with the proliferation of the Baptists during that revolutionary era, they became a majority in many places, and then they began to get involved and exert their influence in political matters because they could. And... For the good, not only of themselves. You, know, you think about this. You know, you know. I, I remember who was it? Uh, there was somebody that was, uh, was uh, going to run for president. Taught, they were talking about running for president, and I remember an evangelist saying, "Well, I don't think he's electable because he was a outspoken Christian." Uh, you know, enduring Jerry Falwell's more majority, and you know, the younger ones don't have any idea what that's about, but uh, some of us do remember that. You know, and there was talk about Jerry Falwell running for president. And that just scared people to death because they thought he was going to legislate, you know, like a Baptist church. where it required, you know, you know, I mean, these Baptists will require dress standards, you know, streets, and they'll require all this stuff. You see, most of the world doesn't understand what we understand about government and the church. They're not the same. Government is not to legislate. You can't force morality. The only thing you can enforce is uphold the rights of people. And when those when somebody violates somebody else's rights, then you the government has a right to intervene in that behalf. Uh, but it ha- doesn't have a right to dictate what you do in your own home, so on and so forth, as long as it doesn't hinder somebody else. But anyway, uh, so for these reasons, Baptists have not been, uh, because they were persecuted, uh, most of history, up until the 1800s, and their priority has not been, government, but preaching the gospel, and, and, uh, and of course, you know, being involved in government, sometimes make it difficult, to be faithful to one of the Lord's churches, so it does create a condom, Uh but, you know, our our form of government, our form of government requires one of the uh, founders. Um, yeah, it's John Jay said, Providence has given to our people the choice of the rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of a Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Um, and you know, we need to have. You know, our form of government requires honest officers. And in Proverbs 29 and verse 2, Proverbs 29 and verse 2, the Bible says this. Well, let's read verse 1 also. He that being hard, often reproved, and hardness next neck should suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. Now, there's a lot of people who voted for Joe Biden that are not happy with the way things are. Why is that? It's because when the wicked beareth rule, it's going to bring mourning. You know, he ran saying, you know, he was going to create unity and all this stuff. He's created more device, more divide than any before us. You see, when there's corruption in government, it causes mourning, it causes difficulty, it causes hardships in a nation. To everyone. To everyone. Except those who are in the ruling class. Um, You see, and so, you know, it is imperative, I think, and, you know, that we get involved, we let our voices be heard. We let our congressmen know. We should know who our congressmen are. You know, sometimes I I get, you know, um, postcards to mail out to our congressmen, and I and I always do, always mail them out, and I usually call them when there's something. And, and but but there's 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 been quite a few times I thought to myself, what is the use? I know this rascal. I know this rascal. But. You know, we need to ask ourselves: Okay, what can I do? What is my priority? Um, you know, what what can I do to to you know We are not going to stop the judgment of God upon our nation, but you know we can get involved and let our voices be heard. And and because these people were involved and their voices were heard, not only did Did the politicians of that day hear their voice? But the people. This had a terrible effect. The people of the of the land heard about their petitions, and many of them, you know, would have endorsed it because it makes sense. And so, you know, get involved. In your local government, if you can, your government is made up of people. Our government was 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 designed to be run by people, by honest people, and and so we ought to be involved. Uh, this man was involved. Uh, he built a synagogue, and uh, he was a a centurion. He had he had influence, and we ought to seek to influence others. Um, in righteousness, and to encourage them, and to challenge them. And so this, this is our prayer. You know, the, again, our, our nation may be a sinking ship. You know, will, will America return to its roots? I have my doubts. I think it's a sinking ship. However, we are to endeavor to rescue those who are on that sinking ship. With the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul couldn't save the ship. God said, you're going to lose the ship. But he said, I'm going to, all those that are with thee shall be saved. And so we have, a, we have a priority. We have a responsibility. We are to be salt and light to a lost and dying world. We need to continue preaching the gospel. Again, that's the foundation for people rightly understanding liberty. Is the gospel. Of Jesus Christ. And so. uh, You know that's what. Caused the turn. To liberty. uh, During the revolutionary era. And brought about. Our bill of rights and our constitution. And all those things. And if we're going to see us returning to that. We have to do the same thing today. And that that means we have a responsibility to individual people. You know, some people say, well, we need to have these mass crusades, and you know what? I think that's part of where we went wrong. Years ago, I read an autobiography of um, Oliver B. Green. And I agree with everything Bob Oliver, Oliver Green he wasn't local church. But here's, here was his practice. He was an evangelist. He planned churches. He would go into an area, set up camp, so to speak, for weeks they'd have prayer meetings and putting out invitations. And then they'd have preaching night in and after night for four, six, eight weeks straight. And usually there was a church started, and he left a church that was started, and then Billy Graham came on the scene with his mass crusades, and all of that ended, and no churches were started by Billy Graham. Instead, what you had was a compromised Christianity with all the Protestantism all the Catholicism, all that mixture brought in with it, and leaving people confused as to what the truth really is. And confused as to where our liberties actually came from. See, it all goes back to doing it God's way. God's way is you preach the gospel, you evangelize, you start churches. Forget the mass evangelism thing. I don't find it in the scriptures. What you find is people sent out starting churches. That changed the world. In New Testament times, it changed the world. In colonial America, and if we could do it again, it could change our world. If they'll hear. But we've got to go. We have been sent. Let's go.